New Zealand's 11,000 dairy farms are being squeezed by plummeting dairy prices and under pressure to clean up their environmental record. And now another major challenge has arrived with a focus on the treatment of thousands of migrants who now do a lot of the work. This Radio New Zealand Insight investigates what's happening with the dairy migrant workforce. In South Otago's Clutha Valley, dairy farmer Scott Keenan suddenly found himself with an almost entirely foreign workforce. Uh, we've got six at the moment and we'll go to, down to five start of November. Yeah, we've got two Filipinos, uh, Johan's our Sri Lankan, who's a herd manager. Who else we got? We've got a German and a Dutch girl. So, um, yeah, we're pretty model cultural. Yeah. <laughs> but there are growing claims the migrants now milking New Zealand's cows are not getting a fair deal. There is a concern across New Zealand society that migrant workers here are our most vulnerable and treating, treat, being treated you know, worse, and I think that's unlikely to be um, different in the dairy sector. I'm Ian Telfer, and for this insight... I travelled out to some of Otago's farms to find out why foreign workers are here and if New Zealand's biggest export industry has a problem with labour standards. Preschooler Aaron Arndt is riding a plastic bike around his farmhouse, happy at having his dad Johan home on a day off. Mr Arndt is Mr Keenan's herd manager. It's his third season in the area and he says he's a happy man. In New Zealand? Yeah, it's very good. Good experience uh, it's because I really love uh, dairy farming. <laughs> so that's why I like to work, and I found I think I found a good place. Mr. Arndt has 15 years' experience in dairy in Sri Lanka, where he owns his own farm, but says he came to learn from New Zealand's higher technology. But the experience has not all been good. His first farm in nearby Clydevale did not work out. Some people are a bit bad because I had terrible experience but uh, I don't want to blame anyone I thought oh, if I'm not happy I'm just moving I will find a good place that's what I do so so you did have a bad experience but yes. you're trying to yeah forget or leave it behind yeah why was it bad uh, the thing is I don't like to tell but treat uh, not well not treated well. Yes, not treated well. Mr Arndt won't explain in any more detail, but he's not alone. Actually, one friend, he came last week here. I think he, he will move to here from Christchurch. Uh, he also had a previous farm, terrible time. And actually, they treated, you, you know, with the day off. And if you do a mistake or something, they get, you know, swearing and shouting. It's not good, no? Down the valley in South Otago's main town, Balclutha, I meet another migrant family who now work in the meat processing industry. My name is Abdi Asman Korir. I am from Kenya. Abdi Korir first arrived almost seven years ago for a job milking cows. He says the first farmer who employed him in Winton in Southland treated him like family and he stayed four years. But the next job, which was meant to be a promotion to herd manager, was a disaster and ruined his dreams. I was expecting to continue and in future even to own, to become a share milker also, to become a contract milker, or even to own a farm in future, yeah, because 
That's what exactly brought me here. So it demoralized me. So until now, I still blame that guy. Mr. Korea says the share milker who ran the farm treated him harshly, with working days stretching to at least 10 hours, with a strict 20 minutes for lunch. Not enough time even to get home and cook his food. He says he was yelled at often. But he says the worst was that the share milker made it clear he expected his wife Anne to work full time as a calf rearer on the farm too and share his salary of less than $900 a week. He cheated us also that she is going to give my wife to be a calf rearer. But when we tried to separate the money that she was going to pay my wife and me, we found that she was not going to pay anything to my wife. This influx of workers is a relatively recent occurrence. Fifteen years ago there was barely a cow in the Clutha Valley, but now it's two-thirds dairy. And it's that massive farm conversion that's required more labour, including migrant workers. No one seems to know exactly how many temporary migrants are in the Clutha Valley. But including their families, it's probably more than 100 people. Perhaps the greatest effect's been on the Clutha Valley Primary School, which has suddenly found itself with pupils from 12 nations. The principal, Val Ward, says the changes opened the children's eyes to the world, but has also created some issues, as the staff never know who might enrol or for how long. I would have said the 1st of June was the time when people shifted, but not now. They shift any time during the year, and they don't stay for long, some of them. Some of them become longer term, but some might only stay for a period of even up to as short as two weeks and then they're moving on sometimes, so you can't really predict how long they'll be with you. Um, we find that there are a number coming in that have had lots of moves. They might have had four moves in a year, some of them. Uh, we've got some six-year-olds that would have had several moves in their first year at school. Val Ward says the moves seem to be caused by frequent job changes, but it's hard to pin down. They are very careful in what they say. I think that's part of the way they are, some of these migrant people, because they're very respectful. But you have to question why they're moving so quickly, why it hasn't worked for them. The constant inflow of new arrivals in the valley has prompted several old hands to set up a settlement support group, running social get-togethers and practical help, such as English conversation classes and driver's licence training. I went to one of the meetings and met six Filipino workers. They've all come on temporary visas to jobs requiring two years experience. But they didn't get it in the Philippines. They got it on dairy farms in Dubai and Saudi Arabia. We were talking about the Middle East, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, how many of you guys worked in the Middle East before? Yeah, three, four, five? Most of you. Wow. Wow. One man says even the worst days on New Zealand farms have been easy compared with there. You worked for two years, for two years we without a day off. Yeah. Wow! Continuous working. Did that not drive you crazy? No, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because it's good because I work with my brother-in-law, so I'm not very boring. But then you worked eight hours a day, but you yeah. worked without a break. Yeah. Is that yeah. better or worse? Uh, it's worse because work. House, work, house. <laughs> That's our routine every day. Pretty work. boring. Yeah, pretty boring. Yeah. And the uh, salary is very cheap. 
So, so life there pretty hard, was it? Yes, pretty hard. Compared here. And New Zealand feels pretty good compared? Yep. Uh, in New Zealand, you feel free. And all the benefits you will get here. Most admit they've had to move from bad employers in New Zealand too. But they say coming from the tropics, via the Arabian sands, Otago's weather is a greater struggle. Back on his farm, the employer Scott Keenan seems surprised by the turn of events that's seen him employ so many workers from overseas. But he says it's been a great move. Yeah, we were finding we weren't getting the quality of staff that we needed, to, and it was just causing us a lot of headaches. So when you put an ad in the paper or on fence space for a job, it's mainly those guys that are applying for it. And certainly once you get one or two good ones, a lot of it can be done word of mouth. So, um, yeah, the boys are saying they've got friends in Canterbury that aren't happy that would like to come here. And um, they're, they're a pleasure to have round. Like they, they just want to work. Great manner about them, doesn't matter what the job is. Um, yeah, so they've fitted in well in our operation. It's not just you guys, is it? This is happening now. Oh, everywhere. Every yeah, 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 yeah. No, we'd be lost without them. He says he sees bad treatment of migrant workers around him and too much of it but he says he's sure he treats them fairly. We're good to our guys. Like, if we have a Filipino that's been with us for a year, we'll pay for them to go home next winter to go and see their family. We'll shout them the airfare. The Dutch girl, she worked for us last year and went home, and we've just flown her out. Um, and, yeah, we want them to have a good time while they're here and, and enjoy it. And, yeah, we don't have trouble keeping staff. Clutha Valley is just one site for the new dairy migrant workforce, part of a much larger surge in the southern half of the South Island, from Canterbury to Southland. Since 1990, the southern dairy industry's boomed from 7% of the national output to 40%. One who's tracked this is an employment relations expert at Lincoln University, Rupert Tipples. He says the labour supply could not keep up. Basically, uh, on the large dairy farms of Canterbury and Southland and Otago particularly, the uh, managers tend to be um, New Zealand dairy farmers, uh, no, Pakeha dairy farmers. Often they've moved down from the North Island, but they're big enterprises and they need lots of employees. If you contrast Waikato and Canterbury, you know, the, your typical dairy farm in the Waikato will be on, what, say, 100 hectares, a family enterprise, maybe one or two staff uh, perhaps permanent, perhaps casual. But it's, it, it's all self-contained. Mother and father work uh, as self-employed people, basically. Come down south and you've got uh, enterprises, 1,000 cows or more. Um, you've got several employed staff. Uh, you've got professional management. And there's been a demise to some degree in the, the amount of share milking uh, being replaced by managers and direct employees. Immigration New Zealand figures on temporary migrant visas in dairy confirm this is very much a South Island phenomenon, accounting for about three-quarters of 2,000 visas issued a year. The number of visas for foreign workers is growing quickly, though there are no official figures on how many people are here at any one time. Industry data suggests 10% of its workers, or about 3,500, are on temporary visas. About half are from the Philippines, but the other big groups are from South America, India and Southern Africa. The numbers have now reached a critical mass, where migrant dairy workers have built up their own networks. 
There's one in Ashburton called the Filipino Dairy Workers of New Zealand, and other looser networks are forming across the country. Rupert Tipples says migrants have been improving their own working conditions organically through social organisation. A lot of the people coming in, a lot of the migrants, are actually uh, graduates. They're, they're, they're actually very well qualified and probably much better qualified than many Kiwis in the dairy industry. And they're also uh, technically very savvy as well. If you uh, misbehave as an employer these days, word's going to get round very quickly that you're not a good employer to work for. Why? Because your, your name will be talked about on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever channel they're using because, no, every, they all have phones and things these days and it's very easy to communicate once you've built up a network. And so in areas like Ashburton, where there's the Filipino dairy workers in New Zealand, um, no, word gets around very quickly that, uh, you know, uh, that employer's not, not to be trusted or not to be worked for because they don't uh, deliver. But the pressure for improvements is not just coming from the workers, but also the government through a targeted crackdown. In the past 12 months, the Labour Inspectorate, now part of the Ministry of Innovation, Business and Employment, has made both farming and migrant workers priority areas. It carried out over 100 audits of farms, including 42 where migrants were employed, and found more than half were breaching minimum labour standards by not keeping the necessary records especially timesheets of hours worked. The Labor Inspectorate's General Manager, George Mason, says it's not good enough. Well, I can certainly say with a, a fair degree of certainty that the practice of poor record-keeping is very widespread in the industry. The Federated Farmers' Own Remuneration Survey demonstrates that uh, farmers don't keep good records of the hours that their uh, workers work, uh, particularly in the dairy sector. So, you know... Certainly the, the, the uh, extended hours is um, very widespread. The practice of paying by salary is very widespread. The failure to keep uh, accurate records of hours is also very widespread. Uh, and so you have to add all that up and say that there's probably a fairly high level of non-compliance in this in the sector. And to be fair, the, the, the sector's actually aware of this. So Federated Farmers themselves have said that that they expect farmers to keep records of hours that their employees work, that there are benefits for them in doing this beyond just compliance, and they're also supportive of the measures that the Labor Inspectorate are taking. It's impossible to say if this poor record-keeping is just slackness or masking the systematic breaching of minimum wages and breaks. The Inspectorate says the audits found no cases of outright exploitation of migrants. On the other hand, George Mason says it got 1,000 complaints from agricultural sector workers last year, many in dairy, and that 40% of all complaints are now from migrants, and they're on the rise. The poor treatment of workers is not only unacceptable, it's unfair to the workers. It promotes unfair competition amongst uh, the employers themselves. It's, uh, they're having to compete in their business against farmers that aren't coming up to the mark. It also uh, weakens the foundation on which to build productive uh, and sustainable business. And, and I think you know, the challenge for, for the industry is to put together the package that ensures that these very elementary aspects are taken care of properly and comprehensively and are, are built into systems so that they don't slip back.
If farmers aren't getting the message from the government, they might be getting it from social media. From her central Wellington office, the Council of Trade Unions president, Helen Kelly, has been waging a campaign on Twitter, pointing out jobs she sees on Fonterra's Fence Post employment website, accompanied by comments like these. Like this farm job, $13.46 per hour, 50 hours per week and six days off every month. Meanwhile, back on the farm, this job, 90 hours per week, 11 days on, three off. Today's offering from the farm industry, 50 hours a week, $9.61 per hour and an outside room if you want it. Helen Kelly says she's just pointing out what's obviously wrong. Well, every day on that website um, there would be, you know, 30 to 40 new jobs put up there, so it's quite a, a um, highly used site. And there's always, you know, four or five where have got, which have got very questionable terms and conditions, so very low wages, often below the minimum wage, and they're total REM. So, you know, you'll get farmers come back to you and say, but, you know, they get a house, and I'll point out, well, no, this is total REM, it includes the house. Uh, long, long hours, and um, there are reports that show dairy farm workers are working too long in our view. And, um, you know, a range of other things, like very few days off, long periods of work without any days off. And, and actually all I've been doing, really, is just tweeting those jobs. And they speak for themselves. Ms Kelly says it should be named for what it is. Yeah, it is exploitation, and it's not in anybody's interest. Helen Kelly believes the widespread non-compliance the Labor inspectors found points to widespread unfair employment practices. And since migrants are more vulnerable, they could be getting the worst of it. So, for example, uh, herd managers are still on the skill shortage list of the immigration department, and um, you can bring that means that you can bring in a herd manager into a position without going through the usual market labour market test to bring in a migrant, and yet remuneration went down for that group of workers last year. So, there's no uh, market test in terms of whether the wages being offered are viable, are attracting Kiwis. Um, there's this default position that that's what they're going to pay. In fact, they're going to reduce what they're going to pay, and they're still going to be able to bring and migration. So migrants. So I think um, that's a sign that they're prepared to exploit their workforce if that group is on the migration skill shortage list and their wages are going down, then it smells bad to me. The dairy sector's well aware it's got an image problem. You might remember this. You know, there are eight countries with more land than New Zealand. There are some with more money than us, right mate? That's a TV ad from four years ago called Go Dairy, which tried to put out a more positive image of the industry. But when it comes to dairy, we lead the world, exporting to over 140 countries, feeding over 100 million people every year and creating a third of the world's dairy trade. Maybe it's because we've got more Kiwis than them. That ad sounds a bit ironic now, with migrant labour at 10% of the industry, over 25% in some regions and growing. From his base in the North Island dairy stronghold of Hamilton, Dairy NZ strategy leader for people and business, Mark Payne, says the industry's aware of the problem. Yes, there are bad eggs, um, and it's, uh, it's up to us as an industry as a whole to uh, correct that situation. It's, um, a large part of this is farmer to farmer. It's um, knowing that um, when a person is um, behaving illegally, it's actually dragging the entire industry down. Mark Payne says the industry's on the same page as the Labor Inspectorate. It wants out of illegal behaviour and into the zone of international leadership. But he says claims of widespread exploitation of migrants is over the top. Most dairy farms that you would walk onto in terms of uh, 
employment practice that that would be the last thing in, in the minds of the the employers they they're moving much more to recognizing people as an investment this is an interesting time with the drop in milk milk price that you know instead of treating people like a a cost item on the the profit and loss account it's there's a lot more talk now about the importance of the investment we've made in people um, the key function they play in terms of uh, the performance of that business in, in low payout years, and that's that's a sign, I think, of a of a much healthier attitude towards uh, people in the workplace. But this begs the question: if bad farmers are being squeezed out and the rest are getting better as employers, why aren't southern farms employing local workers? Back in South Otago, the region's most important agricultural training centre, Telford is struggling to get young people interested in dairy. Telford's director, Charles Lamb, says not one of 70 students in on-campus farm certificates have stuck with it. Charles Lamb says to him it's basic economics, and young people don't see the jobs as adequately compensating them with pay or a career path for the hours and type of work. Look, I, honestly, you know, if I look at my kids, why they wouldn't do it is they don't pay enough. If they wanted to make big money, they'd go to the mines in Australia. I mean, you can't get much shittier work than working in a mine. And why do people go there? They pay them extremely well. So if you paid very high wages on a dairy farm, I think you'd get probably the best workers that you, that you need, be they migrants or, or native New Zealanders. I, I don't think it's as, as, as simple as saying... You know, we can't get workers. Yes, you can't get workers, but look at the conditions. What's in it for the worker? The same debate rages in many countries, including Britain, where tens of thousands of people from Eastern Europe have been harvesting the country's fruit and vegetables on wages local workers refuse. There, as here, unemployed people are being bypassed. The official rate of youth unemployment in New Zealand is at 11%. And statistics from the Ministry show that as dairy farms have taken on more temporary migrants, they've taken on fewer and fewer beneficiaries. During the recent national election campaign, the short-lived ACT Party leader Jamie White suggested this was because young people have become lazy and not work-ready. We want them to come and work in our fishing boats or we would like them to drive our trucks, uh, but they're not kind of up to it. And when I say not up to it, I, I don't mean they're not up to you know, these simple tasks. It means they're not, to, not up to getting out of bed regularly in the morning and getting to, the, to work every Monday, every day. A Clutha Valley dairy farmer, Gavin Parker, who now employs only migrant workers, agrees with that. There was always trouble around weekends. Yeah, no, they would put the social life ahead of the job. Yes, definitely. And um, getting out of bed. I mean, it is, it's not an easy life. I mean, you do have to get up at 4.30 in the morning and um, you do have to work quite hard at times. But equally so, it can be very rewarding and you can make progress relatively quick too, actually. But, you know, we used to have a lot of trouble with um, um, everyone wants the weekend off and, and they all want to go on the booze and don't expect to work on a Sunday because they're hungover from Saturday. And, you know, it was a continuous thing. But from his office in nearby Balclutha, that sort of talk incenses the district's mayor, Brian Cadogan. Rubbish. You give a young one a chance, they're good workers. Mr Cadogan's been hands-on in leading an effort to drive down youth unemployment to zero by attempting to find every unemployed young person a job, especially those who've struggled in life or school. 
He says he stopped sending 16 and 17-year-olds into dairy because last year he placed seven young people on farms and all seven came back burnt out and broken from the experience within months. Most guys in the dairy industry are good buggers, but some of the ones we've been exposed to have, have uh, yeah, it hasn't been good for the kids. And, I, and it still sits and weighs real heavily on my conscience. Some of that collateral damage those kids still carry today from trust in me. And um, I've learned a lot from it. I know that there's guys out there without hesitation I'd have them work for. Because, as I say, the majority are good. But there are rogues there. On migrants, Brian Cadogan says he takes his hat off to them, especially the Filipino workers. I've, I've travelled through Asia, I don't know if you have, and they know how, you know, that, that's just inherent in their culture. They will outwork a New Zealander. And I didn't know that until I travelled. I always thought, New Zealanders, no, we're, we're good, and we are good. But, boy, they're phenomenal. Some of the migrants, too, see dangers in the dairy industry shutting out New Zealanders. It worries Sri Lankan herd manager, Johan Arndt. Mm, I think it's not good. It has to be 50-50. You know, the young generation... If they leave from uh, now, if they don't do any farm, if my son does not continue my farm, what will happen? If I can't do, I will sell. So maybe, I don't know how many years' time, maybe a few dairy farmers left here. New Zealand, Kiwis, but maybe foreigners own the farms. So that's not good. Again, the industry knows this. Its solution is a targeted push directly into the high schools to attract the brightest young people into dairy management qualifications to meet the future's high-tech and business challenges, as Dairy NZ's Mark Payne explains. What we're doing as a dairy industry is trying to get an early, sort of more around that uh, year 10, year 11 age group and picking out the best and brightest from, from the senior school levels, supporting them with scholarships into uh, into careers and uh, whether it's uh, university level or pre-employment at places like Taratahi, Telford, or into straight into the workplace and having um, primary ITO workplace training. It's um, yeah, all of those options sit there, but we need to link it with a, a good, strong, you know, moral message around why this industry is important and the difference they can make. But on the ground at Lincoln University's Telford division. Charles Lamb's sceptical that that will solve the problem. He says more needs to be done to help the average employee do well in the dairy industry. Rather than dairy lobbyists talking about getting level five and above and degree qualified managers, rather than dreaming about that, they should be thinking about how they can improve the, um, the paying conditions and qualifications of the, of the average worker. I'm Ian Telfer, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Steve Burridge.